This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Uh, coming up, subversity with Dan Zhang. Uh, the opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regions of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. This is Dan Zhang with subversity. Uh, with us on the phone is, uh, is Dylan Rodriguez, who's a professor of ethnic studies, associate professor of ethnic studies at UC Riverside. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, thanks right. for waiting. Um, <clears throat> uh, today we're going to talk about the expanding uh, prison industrial complex uh, that the California legislature has uh, uh, voted upon. Uh, why is that different from anything else uh, that's come before us? Well, uh, Dan, this, this is a really significant historical moment, not just in California, but uh, literally in the history of the world. Um, a proposal was, was passed um, and signed by the, by the governor in May, uh, AB 900, uh, which sounds mundane on the face of it, but what it amounts to is the largest prison expansion, prison construction project in the history of the world, and that's that's um, that's that's very much uh, a factual statement. That's not a moral statement. That's a factual statement. And and what is unique about this is, as um, my friend and mentor, uh, fellow abolitionist activist Ruthie Gilmore has so succinctly put it, what this plan on the one hand is doing is it is literally plotting out. Uh, incarcerate math-based incarceration plans for the next 15 plus years, which means that California is now deciding how it is uh, going to incarcerate and trap people who haven't even been born yet. Um, in addition to the fact that this is uh, an expansion plan that's reaching across generations, it's uh, at, at, at the level of raw numbers, it's, it's planning 53,000 new prison and jail beds at a cost of at least $15 billion strictly for construction. So none of that involves operation costs. Um, none of that involves uh, anything else. And finally, possibly the most heinous part of, of, this, of this expansion is the fact that in April, when this bill was first passed by the legislature, it was done um, almost all, it, it, was, it was done without, without any kind of public hearing, without any, um, without any public participation, no public vote. And, and in fact, it was so fly by night that the bill, uh, the language of the bill, before it was even approved, was still being finalized about 24 hours before the deal was agreed to by the Democrats and Republicans in the state legislature, and finally made public in late April. So, um, this is this is a significant time, and at this point, I think it it only enhances and accelerates the need for a broad-based radical abolitionist movement that's not willing to make any more compromises with the state. Is it the largest uh, kind of overhaul in history? Yes, in, in, in human history. It's the largest prison wow. expansion in human history. Uh, anywhere, not just California. In, in, in the history of the entire planet. <laughs> huh. yeah. Wow. And, uh, and, and keep in mind, again, this is, this is such a significant deal, and yet it was done without, without, any, without a single public hearing, without a single appeal to any kind of public response. So this is, I mean, people, people in California and in the world should really be absolutely in an uproar about this. But, but the flip side of it is because this was uh, almost, almost like a stealth, a stealth bill, um, it seems to me the most alarming part is a lot of people uh, out there, I, I mean, I, I would venture to guess, uh, a lot of a lot of folks in your listening audience might not really even know about the bill, much less the significance of it. So, so yeah, we're we're in we're in a really um, urgent urgent period right now. Who what, who benefits from this? Um, I think the, the the folks who benefit the most are the key cogs uh, in in what we can call the prison industrial complex. So the people who who most clearly benefit from this thing economically are the construction firms, architectural firms, um, and and other. 
uh, companies that are going to benefit from the contracts that they sign with the, with the California state government for the actual physical prison expansion, prison building, um, and that kind of thing. They're going to be bidding for contracts with the state, and that's going to, you know, provide um, some business for those, for those kinds of companies. The other most obvious beneficiaries, on the one hand, are the California Prison Guards Union, um, you know, who, who are, who are uh, presumptively going to obtain even more power politically um, as, well as, ex- uh, as well as expand their, their, their base through this uh, massive prison expansion. And, of course, the legislators who I think are operating on the assumption that they won't be held to any kind of serious critical accountability um, by the people whom they allegedly represent. And so I think the, one of the, the electoral premises of this is that somebody can run for election or re-election, I'm sorry, for re-election, and say uh, proudly that they uh, were one of the voices supporting this, um, supporting this bill. So, so I would say that those three components of, of uh, what we call the prison industrial complex would be the most obvious and immediate beneficiaries. And the, uh, is, is the tax, uh, tax money paying for all this? Oh, yes. This is entirely public money. This is $15 billion uh, of, of taxpayer money. And it would be paid over the period of time? Or... Yes. And, and, of course, l- let me emphasize something. Um, of that $15 billion, uh, that, that does not include operating costs. This is strictly for expansion, right? So that's $15 billion that's been set aside strictly for the expansion project. That does not include the operational, the operating budget of the California state prison system. You know, usually we, you and I, I'm, I assume, are pro-union. What's different about the um, prison guard union? Well, what's different about the prison guard union is that, uh, you know, as, as, a laboring, as a laboring class, what their primary investment is in is in, uh, is quite directly related to accumulating as many bodies as possible um, in these conditions of immobilization and, um, and, 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 legal, and legal and civil death. I mean, that's the primary vested interest of the guards unions to make sure that they, that they maintain jobs, if not expand their jobs. And the way that that works, logically, is to make sure that you're not uh, decarcerating. In other words, that you're maintaining as high a prison population as possible, as well as um, as well as making sure that, uh, that, that the existing jails and prisons are, in fact, state-run rather than privately run. Um, in fact, the Guards Union is one of the main forces that's been behind the um, you know, effective running out of the state of, of the private prison and private jail facilities. Um, it, it, it's not been on the basis of any kind of uh, notion of protecting people's bodies that are, that are incarcerated, uh, you know, and, of course, and, of course, it's not under any kind of objection to the fundamental premises of private enterprise, but rather it's been uh, on the premises of protecting state jobs, um, state prison guard jobs. And so, what what is different about them is that they're not they're not working um, as a class to produce anything other than an expanded and reproduced human incarceration, human imprisonment, human immobilization. That's what is unique about this. In other, uh, and 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 put them in stark contrast, juxtapose them with the teachers union. Right, which is in a sense doing the diametric opposite of what the guards union is doing, and and what I think is profound is that those two unions, uh, by all accounts, are the two most powerful unions in California. With this expansion deal, I think it's entirely likely that the prison guards union will surpass the teachers union as the most powerful lobbying group in California. So because um, they'll get more members. Yes, they'll get more members, and most of them, I think even just just as importantly, they'll they'll obtain that much more political influence and political momentum with this master plan um, at, at the cost of $15 billion to uh, radically expand um, their facility base. And so, and so this, is, this, this, this thing has, has uh, this, this, this bill, this proposal, has 
political effects far beyond uh, the actual physical construction of new prisons. I mean, just, just in thinking about the Prison Guards Union, we're talking about potentially a major political earthquake that's going to forefront and empower the Guards Union even beyond what it already, what it already has. I thought the trend in um, other prison uh, industrial complexes is is privatization. Uh, so this goes against that? Yeah, and, and in fact, I think that this is largely a misconception. Um, in the United States, the reason that the private, uh, private prison, private jail uh, efforts uh, have, not, have, have, have generally not succeeded oh. um, is, is, number one, because of, uh, at some level, um, you know, some level of public outcry against it. So there have been movements that have uh, forefronted resistance to privatization as their main priority, and, and those have been at some level effective. But I think what is, what is noticeable, uh, noticeable about why they're effective is because oftentimes it's the state prison guard unions that join up with them to resist privatization. Oh, I see. Yeah. And, so, and, so, and so it is a kind of, uh, you know, coalition made in hell when you're talking about activists who um, nominally are, are against prison expansion and against imprisonment, perhaps they might even identify as abolitionists, who are being joined on a kind of political trajectory by prison guards unions who say, yes, we agree with you, we don't want privatization, we want to keep all the prisons state-run. And so in the long run, as well as in the short run, I think the anti-privatization movement uh, is really defeating its, its fundamental purpose if it sticks strictly to an anti-privatization line. Um, and so what you see actually uh, going on is, is many of the U.S.-based privatization, uh, prison and jail privatization companies and firms have actually globalized. They've gone neoliberal, and they've gone to places like South Africa and Great Britain to market <laughs> effectively, uh, to market uh, their, their strategies, to market their facilities, to market their administrative um, forms. So, so that, that's, I think, what's been happening with privatization. It has not generally succeeded in the U.S. until it's gone neoliberal, it's gone global, it's exported. Wow, that's interesting. Um you know, you can't talk about prisons without talking about race. Yes. Uh, what What is the significance of this for uh, people of color? The, what I think is going to happen here is um, in California, uh, you have you have in a sense the leading edge of an institutionalized racist state violence um, that that is generally unmarked as such. Uh, in other words, what what I think is 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 far too missing in terms of a serious activist language about uh, abolishing prisons is that what this is really about is abolishing institutionalized white supremacy and institutionalized racism. Um, and, and most imme- immediately, it's about surviving and abolishing institutionalized uh, racist state violence. And so what this AB 900 deal, I think, accomplishes um, is for the, for the near and medium-term future, uh, it is going to provide the capacity uh, for, the Cali- for, the Cal- for the California base of the prison industrial complex to further target those populations that are already uh, extraordinarily criminalized. So we're talking about um, poor urban and rural black and brown populations um, becoming, you know, that much more enhanced in terms of how they're being targeted by, by policing and how they're being uh, targeted by criminalization and criminal law. So what we have with this confluence of so-called anti-gang, um, anti-gang initiatives, like with, with uh, Police Chief Bratton over in L.A., coming into office and ex- right away declaring that he's, that he's going to fight domestic terrorism, right, using the post-9-11 language of fighting domestic terrorism by fighting gangs, is converging with another trend, which is, of course, this, this conflicted, um, this conflicted uh, 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 legislative and policing structure around, around so-called immigration, the so-called immigration crisis. And so with the confluence of those two things, 
you're going to see an increasing articulation between them. You're going to see anti-black and anti-brown racism, uh, I think, speaking to each other, maybe intertwining in some really uh, profound and disturbing ways. And what AB 900 does is it provides the capacity for the state to quite literally experiment with its policing and criminalization forms. And so that's a long way of saying we don't, I don't think we really know what's going to happen. I think the fact is the California state legislature has created a context where it can quite uh, um, uh, profoundly experiment with what's going to happen. And I think that's what we're going to see in the near future. What, what do you mean that it can uh, experiment? Um, I think, I think what, what it can experiment with here is, uh, in, number one, in terms of how, it's gonna, how, how DAs um, are going to prosecute, right, what kind of sentences they're going to seek, uh, whether parole boards are going to um, increasingly find themselves uh, willing and able to, you know, even to, 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 to deny parole at an even higher rate. And it's already, it's already you know, almost, almost impossible to get, to get parole nowadays, um, especially for lifers. Uh, what you're going to see is uh, with the kind of presumed political uh, mandate of, of AB 900, right, which is, again, it's, it's, it's a wrong presumption because there's no public, there's, there was no public hearing, there was no public consensus around this AB 900 thing. But with the assumed mandate that AB 900 provides, I think you could quite definitely see that the California state legislature, um, as well as its, uh, its courts, decide that it's going to further enhance its law and order uh, tactics, right? It's going it's to further uh, enhance its draconian, the draconian measures against, um, you know, alleged gang members. Against the, it's it's going it's to step up the drug war. It's going to step up the war on, on brown migrants um, and so forth. So I think that that's what AB 900 lays out is, is the facility capacity to house that, much, that many more people um, imprisoned and, and, and prosecuted and a political momentum which says, oh, now we have license to criminalize, to create new criminal law and to prosecute criminally at even higher rates and to target populations at even uh, more focused uh, measures. You, you mentioned AB 900. What, what's the name of this particular law? Uh, I don't know that it actually has a name, and that's one of the one of the reasons. I'm I'm, I'm sure it has it has a formal name, but it never obtained a real public name, yeah. um, hmm. which is a reflection of its stealth status, right? This wasn't like the three strikes law, where everyone knew the thing as the three strikes law, right? It wasn't like um, even it wasn't even like something uh, like Prop one, Proposition One Eighty Seven, where everyone knew what Proposition Proposition One Eighty Seven was. There's a lot of folks out there who have no idea what AB Nine Hundred is. You know, it, it sounds like a generic law, and part of that is because it still hasn't sufficiently been uh, circulated in, in, in terms of a public discourse, which is why, you know, programs like this are important. So this, this is a, a bill? It has not, has it become law? Oh, it, it, it's waiting, it's, it's been enrolled, it's waiting to become law. It, ah. it's, yeah, the governor signed it already, which, oh. which, is, which is why we're in trouble. I mean, this is, this is a movement-building moment. This is, I mean, I think it's fine if people decide they want to, you know, send letters of protest and outrage to, you know, representatives and state senators and things like that. I think that's all necessary that, uh, you know, in, in, in the aftermath of this thing that, that, that those elected officials really face the music. But the fact is that, that the bill is waiting to go into law. What, what needs to happen now is, is definitely is, you know, it, it's, beyond, it's beyond lobbying legislators. This is a movement-building moment. This is a social movement-building moment. That's all that we can do. It's, it's what we must do. This whole thing about retro, using rhetoric of t- anti-terrorism. Yes. Uh, I remember even before 9/11, attending a, a so-called hate crime uh, network. Yeah. Uh, there's. Uh, I was active in this group and um, invited to this attend this meeting with some human rights people. Actually, mm-hmm. but actually, uh, I was shocked that uh, a lot of the people that stood up and introduced themselves were FBI agents. Yeah. And then there was a DA there and uh, assistant DA and. Uh, 
or a U.S. assistant U.S. attorney or something, right. and he said um, he said actually that um, they had just gotten approval from FBI uh, headquarters uh, or the L.A. Bureau, uh, L.A. Uh, field office of the FBI, to designate um, hate crimes as domestic terrorism. And so, and yeah. they were prosecuting a, a UCI student for sending out a former UCI student for sending out. It was the first uh, so-called hate crime on the internet, where uh, I think a Salvadoran was accused of sending hate messages to right. Asian students. Um, and so th- they were touting this as this big uh, achievement uh, that this was a hate crime uh, that was called domestic uh, treated as domestic terror. Right. No, I, th- I think I think that there's a point to be made there because. Um what you also find is uh, the the the, la- the last I checked with the Department of Justice um, compilation on hate crime uh, data uh, is that the highest rates of reporting um, uh, among 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 people who allege to be victims of hate crimes is actually among white folks. Really? Yeah. Wow. And, and by and large, by and large, they allege that they are victims of black folks. Hmm. Yeah, and you actually see this circulating now uh, with some of the more spectacular media reporting around, um, you know, young people getting in fights, and, they, and they, they usually are entirely structured by a kind of racial uh, uh, crisis or racial antagonism or racial tension. And what you see invariably happening is that district attorneys and, and or police will prosecute black young people as hate crime, hate crime perpetrators against white young people. Um, and so, yeah, this whole hate crimes discourse, which I think, uh, you know, folks were far too romantic about at the beginning. Anyways, has now um, you know come for, come full circle to to where the, the the populations that were assumed to be the ones that were protected by hate crime legislation are actually now the ones being criminalized and prosecuted by it. So this is why we this is why we we uh, what we what we really need is a much deeper activist examination and for that matter a scholarly examination of how these different structures of the state work. Once you realize that the police, the DAs, and the FBI are on your side, right, you know, as a progressive person, as a radical person, as a revolutionary person, as, as a humanist, right, whatever it is that you choose to call yourself, if, if you find that those folks are in the room with you, right, applauding what you say, then you really need to stop and ask questions, uh, radical questions about where you stand. And so, and so that's, a, that's a really good example of where of how it is that we've gotten to where we are, right? And how it is that the legislator uh, the legislature has decided that AB nine hundred was reasonable and that it could it could go ahead and pass this thing without any without any public uh, discourse. How about, how about uh, back in uh, you know in the sixties when the FBI was investigating like uh, anti black uh, terror in the South? At some point, they they you know was it J Edgar Hoover sent people yeah. sent his agents in. And try to uh, stop um, kind of white supremacists. Right. Well, well, what, 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 of course, what we now, what we, what we know now about that is that simultaneous with the FBI making these kind of token gestures to uh, investigate the, the, the KKK, uh, is that the FBI itself was involved in in the in, in the country's largest uh, kind of domestic state terrorist campaign um, in history against uh, against black liberation and other uh, Native American, Puerto Rican liberation and other um, third world uh, U.S. based third world liberation movements, and so COINTELPRO was really about to uh, hit its renaissance at the same time that, that the FBI was making these uh, almost like all, they were almost public relations um, gestures toward investigating the FBI. It was it was doing counterintelligence work to undermine and and and, and uh, in many cases to uh, either provoke. 
violent conflict or to actually assassinate people um, of color that were involved in, in radical and revolutionary liberation movements um, and were involved in conversations with people in Africa, in, in Cuba, uh, in Asia, and so forth. And so um, I, think, I think, you know, in terms of understanding what it is that our state does uh, and, and to understand what the logic of our state is, when, when it, even when it alleges to do things that um, are on the face of it, you know, anti-terrorist in terms of trying to protect, you know, uh, vulnerable populations or, or, or racially uh, targeted populations. I think, that, I think by necessity we have to have a healthy dose of um, uh, suspicion, skepticism, and, and, and kind of critical uh, awareness about what it is that's actually going on. It seems to be uh, an absence of that, of uh, kind of skepticism, skepticism to us as state among a lot of even progressives sometimes. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that, uh, Daniel. I mean, that's, part of it is this, it is really deadening, assumptive patriotism that so many progressives, and uh, clearly liberals, but so many progressives and even people who see themselves as left or progressive, so many people just buy into the, the premises of this assumptive American patriotism and are refusing to call out the terrorism of the U.S. state uh, for fear of being called sympathizers with terrorists or, for that matter, you know, in older language, in, in older language treasonous. And I think this is what's, what's uh, undermining the possibility for any serious social transformation at this moment is um, this, this sense of obligation to concede crucial political points, cru- crucial political premises to the notion that the U.S. state or U.S. government um, must must not be attacked too dramatically, right? That it must not be that it must not be critiqued too radically or fundamentally. Um, I think that that kind of critique, that kind of principled political attack, is is exactly what we need, um, and it's what we what what many what many of us will, will have to do just to survive this coming generation. And 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 you know this 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 bill, this AB nine hundred thing, just speaks to that. So I think I think a radical critique of the state. A radical, radical critique of the U.S. government at all of its scales and levels is um, is our obligation at this moment. I'm, I'm tired of the patriotism. I think everyone listening to this should listen to to to, uh, to what they say, to what others around them say, and stop and question what it is that they're really saying when uh, when they're reinforcing the val- or, or for that matter valorizing the U.S. state. Are you at UC Riverside, yeah. and do you find the students there more skeptical of the state than at other campuses that you've been at? Um, I would say I would say absolutely yes, um, and and part of that I think is uh, a kind of combination. Well, I think it's a combination of both the, the the racial and class demographic of the students at UC Riverside, and it's also um, uh, a reflection of what faculty of color are willing to say and do pedagogically in their classes here. So. I think that, that there is possibility uh, to have those kinds of conversations at UCR. And I think the fact that UCR is the place where so many, um, uh, you know, students of color, first-generation college students especially, are, are, attending, uh, are, are attending the university is, is absolutely part of this. And, and let me make a concrete example of, as, as to why I, I feel like I can say this um, anecdotally and, and to some extent factually. Um, if you walk into a UC Riverside classroom, uh, which is going to be, you know, in almost every case, is going to be overwhelmingly uh, uh, students of color, uh, old and young students of color, and and you have a conversation about prisons. Uh, the 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 chances are that the majority of the students in your classroom will probably raise their hands if you ask them if they're within one or two degrees removed from somebody who's been through the system, uh, meaning meaning youth authority, jail, immigration prisons, federal prisons, state prisons. Um, so I think that people have been touched. 
by this thing we're calling the prison industrial complex in multiple complex ways, and they've seen the impact that it's had on not just on themselves but on people around them, their family members, their loved ones, brothers and sisters, cousins, parents, uncles, aunts, and that kind of thing. And so this system uh, absolutely reaches out and, and impacts people in, in profound ways, oftentimes in traumatic ways, and what we need is at some level uh, uh, a different and radical activist diagnosis as to what the prison industrial complex is actually doing to people because I would, I would argue that um, the trajectory of it, if, if not the actual effect of it, is absolutely genocidal. How is that? Because uh, uh, people are going to be put away. Yes, I mean, if you, if, you look at, if you look at the immediate impact that the incarceration of one person has, what you see is, is uh, the, the capacity of a group or a unit of people, you know, family and extended family, whatnot, to reproduce themselves economically and culturally is drastically undermined. Right? Sure. Yeah. What, you, what you see with especially the incarceration, the criminalization and imprisonment of, of working class and poor women, women of color in particular, is that children, and for that matter, uh, children who are born under the circumstances uh, of imprisonment are immediately taken away from their mothers um, and, from, from, for that matter, from their families and extended families and put into state care. Right? That's, that, that, that is absolutely resonant of even the U.N.'s own conservative definition of genocide, which is the forcible transfer of children. Uh-huh. Um, and, of course, when you start diagnosing what effect that has on the children who are being separated from uh, caring circles of people, um, nurturing circles of people, and put under state wardship, now we can start to track, okay, well, how many of these kids end up um, going through the systems of, of criminalization and imprisonment themselves? And it's extraordinarily high. So what we're talking about here is, is, uh, is an industrialized system of criminalization that has an outwardly radiating, radiating effect on quite literally millions of people, right? Because when you talk about incarcerating one person, uh, you can immediately track, in most cases, 10 to 20, sometimes 50 people that are immediately affected by that. And I'm talking at the level of... Uh, of losing a loved one, at the level of losing an income, at the level of losing, uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody, somebody who is networked with other people. So, um, so what, what you have logically here is, is something which is working along the premises of genocide to the extent that you have entire populations of people who are having their capacity to socially exist dramatically undermined. Yeah, I just put up the AB 900 on the web, and yes. uh, it says uh, construction, prisons yes. construction. Yes. Existing law authorizes the financing and construction of straight prison facilities using lease purchase financing arrangements. Uh, this bill, the Public Safety and Offender Rehabilitation Services yep. Act of 2007, yep. would authorize the Department of Corrections and Rehab to design, construct, and renovate prison housing units uh, in order to add up to 7,484 beds and acquire land, etc. Right. So, uh, and, and that's in the immediate future. Over the, over the life of it, it's for 53,000 new prison and jail beds. Wow. Yeah. And I was struck that the uh, person who introduced it is uh, Solorio, who yeah. uh, was a UCI uh, student. I and, didn't know that. And <laughs> he's uh, totally, uh, I mean, he, he acts, you know, sometimes I think, you know, people um, want to elect people of color yes. and want them to represent them. And yet when they get on... On, into power, uh, they are on certain committees, yeah. and the, this is, I guess, the prison committee or whatever, yeah. a law enforcement committee, and so there's, uh, you have to do the bidding. Yeah, I, I mean, you're right, Dan. I mean, this is, this is a mo- we're, we, we should be past this kind of skin color politics stuff. What we right. need to do is we need to call a dog a dog. Uh, <laughs> we're in a moment of, of, 
of, of what I've been calling for a couple of years now. I've been calling it multiculturalist white supremacy, where you have people of color who are obtaining positions of administrative authority. They're not tokenized now. These are people in positions of administrative authority, symbolized by folks like Alberto Gonzalez, Condoleezza Rice, and for that matter, Solorio, right? Who are who are who are on the leading edge of of crafting, of building, and of actualizing these uh, institutional forms that are the absolute leading edge of classical white supremacy. So, so we need to call a dog a dog. If somebody, if somebody is doing the work of white supremacy, we need to name it as such and stop trying to play as if we owe somebody something because their, their last name is like ours or they, because they, they kind of look like our cousin. I think, yeah, that's a big problem in the elections because people tend to vote the so-called ethnic vote. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. No, and, and this is part of the reason, this is part of, part of what is, uh, I think, uh, depoliticized even the electoral process, which is, in, in, it, I mean, in my opinion, it's, it's kind of bogus and, and generally fraudulent to begin with, but, but even if you buy into the premises of electoral politics, it's been so radically depoliticized that now you have people treating Barack Obama as if he's the second coming of Malcolm X. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, to, they, they call this the Rehabilitation Act yeah. also, but is there any rehabilitation, so-called? Well, well, this is this is what is, in a sense, if I can use the term, perverse about this act, um, in, in a bad way. Like some some perversions are kind of fun, but this one's a bad one. Uh, uh, part of the perversity of this is that what it is calling rehabilitation is, in, is in essence, an expansion of what is already there. Um, and so, and so, what we see happening here is that is that the state and, for that matter, the governor are in the in the midst of kind of a, once again redefining what counts as rehabilitation and using rehabilitation as a premise for prison expansion and this is this is an old story right this goes back as far as the inception of the US penitentiary and prison itself and in fact what we need to understand is that the language of rehabilitation is never and has never been uh, a kind of solution uh, for existing prisons. In fact, the rehabilitation has always been the moral, ethical, and political premise for building prisons. That's, that was what the whole notion of a penitentiary was. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we're actually reaching the end of our half hour, and we have another segment to go to. Uh, thank you, Dylan, and we'll have to have you back. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank what's you. What's up, everyone out there? Well, be Bye-bye. abolitionists, everybody. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, with us on the phone is... Uh, we're going to be focusing on uh, another story uh, that ha- is breaking over the weekend. And with us is James Dew on the phone. James? Uh, James, are you on the phone? Let's see if we can hey, hear. Hey, Daniel, this is Dylan. Oh, Dylan, hi, sorry. Hey, okay. man, I forgot to announce the event tonight. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's an event coming up, and uh, we'll be... Uh, that you're organizing and you're speaking on the uh, on prison industrial complex. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, we have. We, there's, it's actually, I'm actually I'm actually going to be speaking briefly, but it's it's a group of about 16 or 17 UC Riverside students that are leading a forum this evening um, on on AB 900 uh, and, and trying to build in this fight against the this la- the largest prison expansion project in the history of the world. It's going to be in on at Ontario City Library right near the airport, and the address is 215 East. C Street uh, in Ontario, and the zip code is 91764. It's going to be tonight from 6.30 to 8.30. Okay, thank you, in Ontario. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, hello. Hi. Uh, James? Yes. Hi, James. Uh, we have us uh, on the phone, uh, James Dew, who was a lone counter-protester at, uh, at a, a protest uh, this weekend uh, that was... Uh, outside the offices of Viet Weekly, a newspaper or magazine, 
a weekly paper that has been coming under attack uh, by certain extremist elements of the uh, Vietnamese community. Um, James, why did you uh, stage your one-man uh, counter-protest outside uh, during these this protest on Saturday? Uh, you know, the the main thing is uh, for uh, freedom of speech. You know, the uh, other side who protest, you know, they said they're going to fight for the freedom of press for Vietnam, but they don't want me to have anybody, you know, on the opposite side to have the voice at all. Uh, they try to shut down the uh, weekly business in the name of uh, freedom of speech. That's why I see the need to come and talk about it, uh, to, 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 um, to, you know, to uh, voice my voice. You've been... Uh You've been uh, a reader of the Viet Weekly. What do you think of the of the paper? Uh, actually, I am a reader of uh, most of the uh, Vietnamese newspaper and magazines. But I love the uh, Viet Weekly because they, you know, they uh, they have a uh, open dialogue. You know, they uh, they try they they very fair. They try to put all sides up, uh, opposing views on their bring their opposing view on the uh, their newspaper. Even, you know, the people who criticize them, they still print their articles on their magazine. So, you know, how fair, how more fair you ask a newspaper in the Vietnamese community to do that? None of them. They are very fair. Yeah, what, uh, so you've been a reader since the beginning uh, when the paper started? Yes, since the, the paper started until now, I might miss a couple of, uh, of uh, articles, I mean, uh, issues that when I went out of state, that's all. So you, uh, you, you are not connected to the paper itself? No, not at all. I'm just a reader, just, you know, like a million dollar <laughs> readers out there. Yeah, and I think they have a circulation of uh, thousands. And um, you, you, your picture was on the cover of the last issue. Yes, because uh, the, 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 the last um, uh, protest is at the Civic Center in Westminster. Uh, they try to excite the people, you know, get the people get excited so they can have a protest uh, on the Saturday. Yeah, and I think nine, uh, there's nine videos of that uh, Civic Center event uh, on YouTube. So you can actually look at uh, somebody has put up that, uh, that uh, meeting, and, uh, which led to the protest on Saturday outside uh, the Gun Grove headquarters of uh, Viet Weekly. Yes. Uh, what, um, in addition to the fact that they print debate and uh, print material on different issues. What what do you like about the paper in, in terms of uh, what they cover? Uh, you know, uh, they um, they are young people. Um, they want to uh, they want to do the you know the business in a new way, and and they so successful in a short period of time, and that's why all the magazine they uh, they are in business. You know, they don't like it. You know. All, Everything behind it is a business competition, and there's a couple of uh, old men, you know, in the, uh, the uh, South Vietnam Army. Yeah. They, they, because you know, anti-communist or anti-communism in the Vietnamese community, community is a big sale. So they do that. So they, you know. So you're saying that it's because of uh, jealousy or competition by other newspapers. Uh, I, you think that's they're using this. Uh, red baiting that's accusing the paper of being uh, pro-communist. Yes, is sir, that exactly what it is. You know, they they uh, envy. You know, with the successful weekly, and and uh, and uh, you know, um, and those uh, politicians they want to get votes from these crowds. 
you know, so so anything, you know, anti-communist in the Vietnamese community, a big sale. You 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 get votes right away without you know question about it. That's why they come to the media. I mean, to, to protest yesterday. So uh, yeah, on Saturday, yeah. Do yeah. you think uh, what, do you do you feel the paper is pro-communist? Not at all, not at all. Because I read this, you know, since, uh, this uh, magazine since the first issue come out until now. And uh, they did int- do some scoops. You know, they were able to um, interview people that no other uh, Vietnamese newspaper or mainstream paper, for that reason, uh, was able to get. Uh, they w- were able to interview uh, officials of the Vietnamese government. Um, did you find that interesting? That they were able to do that. Uh, uh, you know, you know, the reason for for that is they uh, they they unbiased. You know, magazine. And uh, they 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 try to bring you know all sides of uh, of uh, all side, uh, uh, the views of all sizes you know and then I think that because of that and and the the Vietnamese government they think it's a, a good forum for them you know because it's fairness they they can say you know bad thing about the communists and then also they say bad thing about the community this is very fair so they're choosing weekly you know I think that's um, that's a, a good decision from the Vietnamese. Government. So you're saying that the government actually chose them to, to, to send their stuff. To Pardon s- me, I, can, I cannot hear you. So you're saying the Vietnamese government actually chose the paper? Uh, I don't think so, but uh, but I think that's the only new, uh, you know, a magazine that uh, I think uh, pretty much, you know, uh, um, uh, they are very fair to all sizes. So what? Why did you uh, stand outside uh, during the protests? Uh, did you do that at the civic center also? Yes, I did. You know, you know, because of uh, there's uh, many people have the same view like me, mm. but they are afraid of those people because you know, in the past, uh, to my knowledge, at least four or five people been killed already because of they have uh, op- opposing views. Yeah. you know, like me. For sure. So people kind of scared. They don't want to come out. What I do yesterday is I try to tell people, okay, you know, we live in America. There's uh, there's laws for, you know, there's law for everything. So don't be afraid. Come out and, and you know, stand up for your rights. Don't 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 scare these people no more. We're in America, not in Vietnam anymore. What kind of, uh, I know you carried a few placards, uh, signs, that you had, uh, you had like three or four signs. What did they say on the sign? Uh, one of them I, uh, I said is uh, support week weekly uh, for freedom of speech um, uh, and expression. And uh, another one you were saying that the war is over? Or? Oh, yes. And, and another one is I said uh, the, war, the Vietnam War ended 32 years already. Um, uh, uh, for God's sake. Uh, bury your hatchets, you know. That's true, you know, the war already ended 32 years already, get over it. I mean, if you go to Vietnam, you, um, you know, I was struck, last night I was chatting with a friend on, um, on online, and he said that he actually was waiting at a bookstore, a Fahasa bookstore in uh, Saigon, and waiting for a Harry Potter book. I mean, uh-huh. isn't that amazing? I mean, I just think it's kind of crazy uh, that that they have Harry Potter in uh, Vietnam and people are lining up for hours to get the first copy. 
Yeah, and, I have and, never been back to Vietnam, yeah. but I heard that you know they very open now, and they, uh, they, uh, they, you know, they go on the right direction right now. So I think people in the abroad should supposed supposed to support them, you know, to move the country forward, right. not and backward. The book, the, the and the book costs. Today they try to moving people backward, you know. Yeah, it's uh, already they're looking forward. I mean, the book costs uh, half a million dong. I mean, it's yeah. just crazy. I mean the. You know, whereas the average salary might be like what a, just a percentage of that, and so uh, a month, and so it just seems kind of crazy that um, that uh, people here are still thinking that it's just like in 1975 when it's I know totally it's not like that no more. I never been back there, but from what I heard, you know, from uh, 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 you know friends, they they went back there. They told me the the country move, moving to the right direction. Is it good now? You know, so so why they they still hold a grudge? I don't understand that. When you went to the civic center and also on Saturday when you went to Garden Grove, did you feel uh, afraid? Yes, I did at first. You know why? Because you know, like I said, they they very aggressive people, fanatic. And you know, the first thing when I got there, they tried to hit me. They grabbed my banner. They put down on the ground. They jump on it in the name of freedom of speech. And they don't want me to. They don't want me to speak my mind. It's just ridiculous, you know. And so they uh, stomped on That's your. That's why the police yeah. came and and separated them and then moved me to uh, one corner. So I have my own corner. At first, you know, <laughs> the police are very unfair. They they want to to, to uh, push push me away. They don't want me there, you know. But I said, hey, I have the same right. Uh, I I want one corner. I have the same right like those people over there. I need one corner so I can I can voice my voice. So they later on they they let me do that. So you were opposite the 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 headquarters of Viet Weekly. Yes. You were yes. on the sidewalk opposite it. Yes. Yeah, and then they moved you to the uh, other side. Yeah, uh, the other side. I don't know what street is that. I I don't remember. Main because... Street. Yeah, I think in Main and uh, something. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's one block, uh, one or two blocks north of uh, Garden Grove Boulevard, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and and you know one more thing, you know the uh, in uh, Vietnamese American media and press, they are very biased. You know, they they don't have a sense of fairness doctrine at all. Uh, what I mean is they 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 don't care. They don't care about equal times on the air at all. You know, they only <laughs> let the of people not. that anti-communist to talk on their show only. Did they um, did they mention your protests? Yes, they accusing me of uh, a communist. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> I left the country like 30 years ago when I uh, a kid. I, I I don't remember nothing, and since then I never been back there. You know, how can I be a communist for that reason? And <laughs> <laughs> that's so so ridiculous. You know, that's why the same thing they accusing me. That the same thing they accusing Vic Weekly a pro communist, and now they try to pull the uh, the the mainstream American into this fight, like uh, they said the Vic Weekly pro terrorist. How yeah. more ridiculous than that? Why? Why do they say that? Uh, there's a you know because there's an article you know the um, uh, the Vic Weekly printed you know that's a, a opinion pieces from other people. Right. You know one is pro uh, the South of Vietnam. The author is an American, and and the other side is uh, an article from Vietnam, ah. and a Vietnamese author. And, uh, you know, uh, they say something about, you know, praising Ho Chi Minh, and, and they said, you know, so, for some, 
they not be quickly said that, but you know, the author in Vietnam, they said for some reason that because of the behavior of the American government, you know, spread around the world, that's why, you know, the, 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 uh, the 9-11 uh, event is, uh, you know, happened. Well, that's pretty that's obvious. What it is. That's, that's what it is. And then yeah. they try to make a big deal out of it. They try to draw the American crowd into this fight. But I believe me, Americans, they don't do things like that. First of all, they, they will fact fighting. They will look for the fact first before they do anything. Well, actually, I mean, I, I mean, people could argue that it is American foreign policy that got people so mad at them. And that's why nine eleven happened. You know, I I've been bullshit the world. I know it. I I I can I can tell you, you know, because of the government, you know, something they did. You know, many people don't like them. Yeah, yeah. And so the at the protests on Saturday, there were actually signs accusing a Viet Weekly of being a traitor to America and <laughs> of supporting uh, terrorism because they published this article. Uh, made a comment about 9/11, the origins of 9/11. So, you know, you know, like in in our community, Vietnamese American community, anti-communist is big slogan, big sale. In 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 American mainstream, if you say some somebody terrorist, you get an, right away. You get an attention right away. That's what they want to get. You know, the attention from American crowd. Yeah, it was interesting that during the protest, the young person who was speaking out, you know, with the microphone, he mm. was. Uh, speaking most of the time and he was actually speaking uh, mostly in english and mm -hmm. so i think they were trying to reach the uh, few uh, mainstream media uh, uh, yes. uh, reporters that were there yes. uh, trying to get them to write down what he said and it was yes. a very you know in a way it's funny that the la times did not cover it because <laughs> uh, i think it's it's good because otherwise it would just be the voices of the people that were there who were mostly uh, you know, uh, against the paper. Yeah, and they're extremists. You should call that. I yeah, they are extremists. extremists. Yeah, and, and you call them fanatics. Yeah, fanatics. Uh, either way, it's, uh, it fit them. Because you know why? Uh, uh, you know, most of the people, uh, only a, a few people that, you know, uh, try to... Uh, to do uh, to uh, to uh, try to bring people together to against we quickly, like a uh, three or four guys and and uh, and a woman, and the the rest of the crowd they never really re uh, I mean ninety percent of of the people you know in the crowd yesterday they they have never read big uh, quickly magazine so they don't know anything about it they don't know anything about it they just you know follow the guy who said oh okay this guy communist you know go kill him get them out of town, and that's it. That's enough for them to come, you know, follow them and do whatever they want, you know. Did you feel, uh, did people make threats against you personally? Yes, they did. They, they threatened me to, to kill me, and they followed me to the parking lot, and with the police, escort me to the parking lot, and they tried to get my, uh, my car license plate, you know, those kind of stuff. How, how did they try to kill they, you? They, they, they don't scare me, you know, I'm telling you, because if I'm scared, I don't come to the, the the protest at all. But how did they try to kill you? Uh, you know, you know how they 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 are mili military men in the past, so they know how. Trust oh. me, they know how because many people they they know how they they uh, you know they they haven't organized. They know how to kill people. Huh. So they yell at you. Yes. Yeah. And did they follow you when you drive your car uh, away? Yes, they did. They did follow me to my, you know, uh, to my car. But luckily, with the police with me. If not, you know, I I would be three feet under the ground already. Yesterday. I mean, it, this brings 
back uh, memories of high tech incident where you here in Orange County. Yes, yes, that? I heard about it. Yes, exactly the same. They try to make it like like the high tech uh, incident, you know, uh, event like the something like that. You know, they, they try. Well, what I heard yesterday, they try to close down weekly magazine business, and and it's not right. When I talk to uh, an American, they said it's not right. He. You know, uh, he's a white man. He said, okay, if that's the case, he really protected me. If those people over there, you know, from the protest yesterday come to attack me, he ready to protest me because my cause is right cause. That's great, yeah. Do you expect other people to join you when there are more protests? Uh, you, you see, yesterday, you nobody see it. A lot of people in that crowd, they come to observe the, the, the meeting yesterday. They passed by me. They, they tapped on my shoulder. They said, thank you for doing this. Nobody know that. Nobody know that. I told you they saw a prey of that group, and, and, and they, they don't want to stand with me, but they passed by me. Thank you very much for doing this for us. Uh, and one guy, you do very good job, and people thank you. Some car passed by, you know, with the thumb up. Yeah. People don't see that. People don't know that. And so this was that's why I doing this so get people to get out to do you know just like me. So you're hoping to inspire other people yes, to show yes, up. That's the main goal. I, that's what that's what I have. You know, if I don't do it, who's gonna do it? So you said uh, you said yesterday was was there another demonstration yesterday or was it Saturday? Oh, I mean, I mean, I mean, Saturday. I'm sorry, it is on Saturday because in my mind, so fresh. It's still yeah, yesterday. really. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, did um, I'm I'm surprised actually that the uh, I know the OC Weekly interviewed you um, at the on Saturday and uh, they will be coming out on Thursday the OC when, when it's coming out so I, I want to Thursday read uh, Thursday it's uh, you can pick it up probably in uh, like uh, Costa Mesa and in uh, other you know outside of Little Saigon you can pick it up uh, easier. Um, on Thursday, because Thursday I'm living in LA, so I don't know where to get it. Oh, um, oh yeah, you live out there. Yeah, I think you can go online and look for it too. But the uh, oh, I can know, I can save literate, you a copy. I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I get online. <laughs> oh really? Wow, I, I'll save you a copy. I can get you some copies. Okay. Uh, but they uh, they're usually out for one week. So you yeah. can, if you're out in uh, Orange County, you can go to. Uh, some kind of a uh, you know health food store or <laughs> some other uh, like big malls, they probably will have it somewhere. Oh, you men mentioned about that. You know, now when I go down there to for dinner or something, I have to watch out my back. You know, because of those people, they mark me already. You think people and, recognize you? Yeah. Yeah, they recognize me right away because of my hair. You know, my look. Uh, very easy to recognize. You yeah. know, and 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 now I I when I go down there I I have to watch out my back. You know, they they do best thing to me. I know that. How about the work? How about uh, you work as a construction worker? Yes, I'm a construction worker, and I, I'm doing the you know I own my own business. Oh, and, okay. Oh, one more thing. <laughs> do you they think said I accepted money from Big Weekly to do the protest, <laughs> the counter protest? <laughs> you know that that's so ridiculous. You know, it's it's, it's a joke. They say you know thing like that. They can't believe that people would uh, protest on their own. Yeah, yeah, they don't believe it. You know, after 30 years, they learned nothing from America. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's... Uh, too it's, bad, you know, too bad they live in a, in a free country like this, and then they don't try to exercise, you know, democracy the way the Americans do it. And, and they, they just do it the way they, they see it fit them only. Anything, you know, opposed, you know, their view is a communist and bad thing. 
You know, they don't want to uh, tolerate with people, you know, tolerate people with different, you know, uh, point of views. You know, in uh, in uh, Orange County, you cannot get the weekly anymore, almost. Uh, the store owners have been intimidated, threatened. Uh, yes. So they cannot display it. Uh, are you able to get, see it in uh, in L.A. County? Uh, in L.A., not too many stores, uh, you know, uh, I only, yeah, a couple of them near my house, but I don't know, you know, um, and then, so funny, let me tell you this, when I go to uh, a, a store that selling Vig Weekly before, and I see on the on the, the counter, you know, you to put the Vig Weekly, I said, oh, it's out already? I said, no, uh, I still have it, but they hide it in, under the counter, they're so scared of those people, they intimidated them, you know. And then, you know, when I ask, okay, I need a weekly, you know, magazine, and they, they give it to me. Yeah, I heard that the same thing happened in Orange County, that yes. they hide it behind the counter. Yeah, they hide it behind the counter because they intimidated them, you know. They tried to get weekly out of business. It's unfair. It's like buying Playboy. You know, you have to ask for it. <laughs> right now, exactly, like buying Playboys in Vietnam. <laughs> it's like an underground newspaper now. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, too bad. I, I mean, you know, uh, it's so ridiculous. We live, live in America 32 years already, and, and they learn nothing new. <laughs> you know, I, say. I was watching a movie about um, about a former Red Guard from China uh, during the Cultural Revolution, and then he came to Hong Kong and then became rich. And uh-huh. they started off showing some protesters at, uh, at, uh, at a Cultural Revolution event, some uh, documentary footage, and they were saying... Almost the same thing, it sounds like, uh, as the people were saying um, on Saturday. They said, da dao, da dao, and no, da, da, it means uh, da, da, down with. Yeah, but in China, they were saying da dao, whatever, uh, you know, the landlords, da, da dao. And so <laughs> the same word in Chinese, down with. And, uh, you know, 50 years later, they, this chanting like they were chanting, the communists were chanting in oh, yeah. China. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> they, 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 they're so funny. They, they said, you know, the thing that communists did is best thing, and then they do the same thing. Yeah, they I, do the same thing here because they showed the picture of uh, Father Lee uh, being stopped uh, talking in the courtroom uh, yes. with the police uh, men, uh hand over his mouth. But yes. uh, they want free speech in Vietnam, but they do not want free speech in America. But but actually, to that picture, I'm telling you, it's not true story either. You know, that's only propaganda. Because, you know, like in America, you heard some case that they just taped the mouth of the uh, the dependents. Right, I right. I heard that the newspaper. If you say bad thing all the time, or you, you have, you know, yeah. some you say bad thing about to the judge, they do the same thing. Yeah, the judge has you know, power. They, they took you away, or they, yeah. they, they, they tried to cover your mouth, that... You know, but too bad, you know, for the government with the bad, bad behavior all the time like a communist. That's why they got bad publicity, you know, from that picture. I, I believe that's what uh, the Ambassador Marines said. Uh, U.S. Ambassador to Vietnam, a Marine, uh, also told that, uh, and the Viet Weekly reported that. But yeah. the uh, They don't listen. They, they, they don't listen. Out that, you know, but nobody in the community tried to listen to it. So do, do you think... Uh, do you think uh, that the paper will s- succeed in their fight to survive? Yes, I believe so because you know there there's a you know silent you know supporter out there like people like me. Silent, you know, I, I put my 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 safety on the line for them. You know, in the name of freedom of speech. You know, for me, I don't care. I don't worry about you know what's going to happen to me. You know, uh, in the future. You How know, about if, your... ne- if necessary, I will fight again. 
for about your, of speech. How about your business, uh, your construction business? Uh, has there been any effect? No, they cannot touch me because most of my uh, client is American. You know, so <laughs> there's nothing to do with them. You know, so uh, they they can do anything to me. Most of my clients, I mean, ninety nine percent is American, mainstream American. So, so, so they can't be threatened. No, yeah. no, they can be not affected, not at all. Uh, so I understand that they've been calling up advertisers to try to get uh, the Vietnamese uh, who, uh, companies who advertise in Viet Weekly to yeah. stop uh, advertising in the paper. Yes, they did that. They did that. They they call and intimidate you know the uh, business owner, you know, not to try to advertise on the uh, weekly new magazine thing like that. And I believe they've also gotten uh, death threats. Yes, uh, yes. On email and stuff and such. Yes, and uh, for me, uh, they verbally told me at the crowd uh, on Saturday that they they asked me. Do you know who I am? You know those guys in the uh, the <laughs> the army before. Oh, but I don't care who they are. You know this America. Were they wearing um, uh, like khaki or? Yes, uh, yes. They, uh, you know the uh, the soldier uniform or something like that. I yeah. I don't even pay attention. You know. Yeah. How about your family? Do they uh, worry about your safety? Uh, actually, I came to the U.S. by myself. I I have no family, so huh. that's a factor, you know. So I can speak loudly for for freedom of speech without worrying about my family. What made you interested in freedom of speech uh, before this incident? Uh, you know, because I live in America, so and and I read uh, the the American newspaper, and I see how the way they they present the story. You know, they they put both sides of the uh, opposing views, so people can make the the decision, the reader, and make decision on their own. So I like that style, you know. And then now we quickly try to do the same thing. And what's wrong with that? And the Vietnamese people, they don't get used to it, and and they don't like it. You know, you know, anything news, people try to take it down. They're just not familiar with it. Yeah, they're not familiar with that. That's why they're opposing it. Also, the fact that do you think it's a generation gap? Yeah. yeah, the generation gap because very quickly, you know, the the publisher he's about my age, so we came to the U.S. at a young age. You know, we we think differently, and they don't like that. They want we have to do you know their way. You know, that's it. Anything, you know, the old generation way. How old were you, uh, 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 How old were you when you came? I came uh, when I actually I left my family when I about fourteen years old. And I I I get, I get to America around I think I, when I'm 15 I think something like that I was 15 wow. years old. How how did you get here? Uh, escaped by boat. Ah, oh. so do, do you think a a lot of people think like you? You think it's the majority, the silent majority? Yes, the silent uh, silent majority. You know, uh, have the same view like me. Wow. And so, but they are afraid to speak you know, out. You know how you know you you know how the uh, uh, the the other crowd, the fanatic, they they you know uh, they, the way they threaten people. That's why people are so scared of them. So over so many years, nobody come out. You know they have their way all the times. So now they think they can get their way again. You know that's why I don't like it. It's not fair. So you think they can be stopped this time? I think so. I hope people come, like me come out. So we try to stop those crowds. You know, it's not right in America. In the name of freedom of speech, you try to shut people down. You know, uh, of their business. It's not right. It's just a politics of intimidation. Yes, yes. It's uh, it's kind of scaring trying to scare people. Yes, the same way the communists did in Vietnam. You know. So they are using the, the same sim- tactics. Yes. Tactics. 
Yes. Well, on that note, uh, thank you, James Dew. We've been talking with James Dew, a lone protester, counter protester at this weekend's uh, protests over Viet Weekly, a counter protester supporting the right of Viet Weekly to survive and exist. Thank you, James. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I'll keep in touch. Okay. Bye bye. Uh, that was James Dew, a construction worker who's been carrying placards at these protests uh, over the Viet Weekly accused uh, and slandered by fanatics in the community uh, where they have been trying to speak out and provide various opinions, even scooping the competition on interviews with uh, opinion makers and government officials, even going to Vietnam and conducting interviews. Uh, this is Dan Sang with Subversity. Uh, earlier we heard from uh, Professor... Dylan Rodriguez on California's uh, historic plans to expand the prison industrial complex. This is Dan Sang with Subversity here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming on the web at KUCI.org. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California nor the management of KUCI. You can go to the Subversity website at KUCI.org slash tilde, D-T-S-A-N-G, where archived editions of this and other shows will be uh, linked. This is Dan Zhang signing off for Subversity.